blockheads, unplug the Xbox from your cerebral cortex and listen up. It's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Chris Sells and Rory Blight. This is Karen Cavallero here to announce show number 49 with guest Carl Franklin. Recorded January 13th, 2004 and published Monday, February 9th, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man whose blog has more exposure than Janet Jackson's right breast, Chris Sells. Thank you, thank you. This is Chris Sells, your host today on uh, .NET Rocks. Today we're uh, going to be talking about all kinds of interesting .NET things, but before we do, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Rory, and how do you pronounce your last name, Rory? Blythe. Because I always just read it, so I don't know. You think Blythe? I, I, I don't, don't really, sometimes Blythe, I think. Because that's actually pretty typical. And, and your website, you have a website named after an ice cream, yes? Neopolitan? Neopolitan.com, it's like New Napoleon, or, or New Olean. And, and that's because of your hopes to take over the world? It's actually because my French grandmother thinks that I'm like the reincarnation of Napoleon. It has to do with this whole, like, astrology psychic thing. She reads a lot of those newspapers. You get a 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's... And nobody taking the domain name. Yeah. Well, that, that, that actually I find to be the, the key. I know a lot of people that spend a lot of time, uh, and they can't name their companies because the domain name isn't available. Yeah, it's always something really ridiculous. I've seen, I saw like a towing company once. I don't remember what it was, but it had like a pink bunny on it. They had to design their whole logo look and feel around the domain name they had picked for their company. It was really ridiculous. <laughs> My favorite one is I, one I heard just today. Um, it's, it's a service where, uh, computer guys come to your house to like install software and set up your network and, you know, fix those scary dialogue boxes that come, come up on your computer. And they had named their company Geeks a Knockin'. <laughs> so if you go to geeksandknockin.com, that's like the local, like, geeks on call that we have around Portland. So that'll be good because I know you have trouble administering your computer network at times. Yeah, it's very... fairly difficult. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, uh, and apparently we have, uh, our, as our guest on our show today, we have uh, Carl Franklin. Never Carl, heard of him. Never heard of Carl? Say hello, Carl. <laughs> hey, how are you guys doing? All right. Hey, welcome to the show, Carl. It's really great to have you. I really love what you're doing with the show. So I, I listen to it all the time. So, Carl, why don't you begin by saying what what the heck is going on in this show? Oh, is is there something wrong? I I, I think I'm living in a parallel universe. <laughs> yes, this is Bizarro Land. Bizarro Land, indeed. This is the Star Trek show with the goatee. <laughs> <laughs> to Jonathan Frakes Marathon. Um, well, what happened? What's happening here is um, a lot of confused listeners out there. Well, probably, and I thought that you know we should give you the opportunity to calm sure. them down in case they might think this would be a permanent. Change. All right, I'll give a I'll give a Microsoft style response. Ready? Mm-hmm. So there you go. So all right, so I was out at Microsoft <laughs> in Redmond, 
and where I learned to start every answer with the word so. So, yes. Yep. And um, I was, uh, actually, you were, Chris, helping me uh, with a peer summit, a .NET peer summit that I had organized. A bunch of us nerd types who write and speak and teach and and consult and write code got together to exchange some knowledge. And uh, we're walking around and you said, uh, you know, hey, I'd like to be back on the show or something. We were talking about it. And, I, and you said, you know what would be cool? Why don't I be the host and you be the guest? And I'll turn the tables and it'll be my show. And you you get to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I hadn't thought of that before. So I thought about it for a few minutes. It only seemed fair since, you know, people certainly uh, are fans of you. And yet on your own show, no one has ever interviewed you before. That is very true. So, you know, I'd been on the show a couple of times and uh, I liked it. So I figured it was, it was time that you got your share of the fame and glory, well, the riches that comes along with being on the .NET <laughs> Rock show. I tell you, it's a bit intimidating. Yeah? It is. I never, you know, took it from this side before. And, uh, you know, I guess it could be a bit intimidating. Well, Rory and I will try to be as gentle as possible. Oh, but thank we're you. Not generally known as very gentle, so <laughs> but we'll try. We'll totally try. So, cool. so you were talking about some summit where a bunch of you know guy, like-minded fellows get together to just talk about technology up in Redmond. That sounds pretty special for the developers, you know that that have like real jobs to do. I mean, what goes on at one of those events? Is it true that you guys like? Strip down to your bra and underwear and like have pillow fights or what really goes on in those? Kinds those of, of us that were wearing underwear <laughs> stripped down to our bras and um, what happened was um, I just sent out some email to people in my inbox and apparently you know when you do that and you don't include certain people they kind of get mad at you. So I made a I think I made a few people mad at me but. I just went through my inbox and I said, yeah, he's a developer, she's a developer, he's a developer, she's a developer. And I just concocted a message and I said, hey, why don't we all get together somewhere? And I had no idea where at the time. So, you know, where we could sit around a table with no pressure and no performing and, you know, simply have discussions about what we know, come to the table, you know, not ready to make a presentation, but ready with some code and some samples and to teach each other the things that we have, you know, been specializing in. Everybody has a an area of expertise and specialty. <clears throat> Excuse me. And to my surprise, you know, I thought I thought I would get blown off, but to my surprise, everyone was really, really excited about the idea. And I think at first there was like 20, 20 or so people. And after it's true that after about twenty or twenty five, I sort of stopped looking through my inbox and said, "Yeah, that's probably enough." I don't. You know, we we won't have enough time for anybody to do anything, uh, you know, of, of any substance or to, you know, to give everybody a fair share. Probably the quality will go down the more people that we have. So so how did it go? I mean, how did you think it went? Because I remember, we, you know, uh, I volunteered. I was new at Microsoft then. I'm still new at Microsoft. Right. And I said, gosh, that sounds like a really good idea. I bet we could, you know, right. have you guys... Into the place. And, and you actually got the thing happening at Microsoft, and you went to your boss, Sean Morrissey, and said, hey, I guess you did, and said, you know, is this something we can do for Carl and, and the gang? And Sean said, yeah, of course. And, you know, if we could, I don't know, benefit in any way from this, uh, you know, little gathering, then we will. Um, and it and seemed did we? To, 
Do we end up benefiting in any way? I think you may end up benefiting from it if we ever get the notes transcribed and stuff like that. But uh, I guess you guys were going to like bring in a video camera at the end of the day and do some interviews. That never happened. We were going to, and then you guys like freaked out because you wanted to just, you know, you don't want the pillow fight on film is, I think, what happened. Actually, but- that's not how I remember it. I remember a few <laughs> people saying that they didn't want videotaping during the summit, but it was okay afterward. Uh, yeah. See, now we'll know from next time. Yeah. Well, now for next time. But as it turned out, I had my um, Cool Edit Pro running, in unbeknownst to anyone. And not to get a, you know, a .NET Rock show out of it, although in retrospect, it probably could have been edited down to some good stuff if we had good mics and, and all that. But um, just to, to transcribe, to have somebody go through and, and make a transcription of it and pick out the good parts, and uh, it actually be worth reading, I think. Is that something we can, our, your audience can look forward to on your new blog? I don't know. It, it all depends on who's going to transcribe it. You know, I have the files, and it's a matter of, uh, you know, getting, getting, uh, getting it transcribed. I'd, I'd actually love to hear that or, or read it. Actually, I should say you don't really listen to transcription so much, but, right. but I remember you called me while this thing was going on, and I heard all the splashing party noises in the background. <laughs> and I think I was standing there on a Saturday afternoon with like my half-frozen burrito on the plate. Right. We're to watch a rerun of the Cosby show. <laughs> and I felt kind of a little bit left out. So if I could, you know, read about that, that'd be great, actually. You could, sure. you could potentially listen to it while you typed it out for the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it comes down to. It's like, who's going to, you know, commit to doing this? And um, so. Yeah, we're all fundamentally lazy. That's what makes exactly. us good developers. <laughs> so what kind of stuff did you talk about at your, at the, at the summit? Do you remember? There was probably about seven or eight of us. And. I remember particularly Bill Vaughn and Fernando Guerrero talking about database stuff. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a mutual admiration society going on there between those two guys. Um, and there was some stuff from Fernando I definitely wanted to know. And um, just listening to those guys talk and, and having everybody engaged in the conversation was just mind-blowingly fascinating. Also, Chris Kinsman, who is going to be a guest on an upcoming show, he he has a lot of experience with a lot of stuff. I mean, he's the guy who built devx.com, you know. Yeah, so his kinsman really knows his stuff. He does. And he knows guy. he knows from experience and right. not just book smart, but Yeah, he's, he's not like one of us, right? He actually goes out and does it in the world. Yeah, exactly. And of course, that's exactly what I meant to say. Thank you for putting words in my mouth. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. He no, uh so I was very impressed with you know, not only his knowledge of, you know, from experience and all this, but but his total recall of it and the details that he is able to, uh, you know, he keeps all the important stuff right there on the tip of his brain. So he was able to show us some really, really cool stuff. We got into a discussion about um, group development and how difficult it is and how not only are there not a lot of tools to do it, um, you know, in a good way, but but some of the you know some of the features that are baked into the software we do use are prohibitive to you know doing a lot of things. Actually, it's interesting you bring up the the group development thing. I had coffee with Ward Cunningham this morning. No kidding. Yeah, he's a employee at Microsoft. Now. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, well, so Ward Cunningham, for for folks that don't know, has a ton of experience uh, in this industry, and one of the things that he uh, is known for is. He really helped in, in the initial patterns movement. It was kind of he and, and Kent Beck sitting around in the, in the research area at, uh, there's another high tech company. It's not Intel. It's Tektronic. Thank you. 
in tech in Tektronics, and uh, they kind of started that whole uh, you know patterns thing, and then later the ex- extreme programming and the group programming thing, and hmm. boy, we had a fabulous talk. And then, of course, you know, in the sidelines, he also invented the wiki. So right, which I still don't know what the wiki is. What's the wiki? A wiki is just um, you know a bunch of people all editing the same set of web pages through the browser. Ah, oh. and they all just trust each other. So, like, you know, Rory and I would not be good participants in a <laughs> wiki. Because, <laughs> you know, you never quite know. I wouldn't let Chris write anything. Yeah, that, yeah. So, so that's Ward. He would be a good guy to have. But, so, the whole group programming thing, I mean, did, did that come up? Did you guys have any experience there? Because I know that's really hot right now, that people are thinking about extreme programming and pair programming and test-based programming. Well, it's interesting because I, I think of extreme programming as being uh, most effective in small groups, um, as, Sam Gen- as Sam Gentilly pointed out on his show. But um, we were really talking about when you have large-scale, uh, m- complex applications, when you're working with large groups of people and you have some people working on these components and others on those and collaboration and version control and, and all of those kinds of things. Um, so the whole... Team programming, large-scale team-based programming. Yeah, and as I was sitting there, my little, you know, communication socket brain went into action and said, wouldn't it be cool if I had some sort of thing in the in the development environment where as I'm making a change to an assembly that I know other people are depending on, you know, it would shoot out an instant message or some kind of notification right in the right in the environment to that to that developer and say, you know, hey, you know, this is being changed right now. Um, you know, I, I hope th- this is okay with you or something like that. So big, big problems being that we have, uh, you know, developers working on things that affect other developers and trying to keep all that stuff in sync is often a manual process. That's actually, that's a, that's a really good idea. That's probably even something that somebody could build now that, uh, Microsoft's provided the, the VSIP stuff right. to just anyone. Uh, you know, that would be a really cool add-in to be able to hook in, um, you know, using some metadata to say, gosh, these people care about this assembly and firing off notifications. And, of course, RSS would be a fabulous way to do that kind of thing. And yeah, and it wouldn't be necessarily something you want to land in your inbox along with all the other spam and porn notifications that you right. get. And, uh, yeah, that right, was, that was be, for you, you know, Rory. It wouldn't be as important as the spam and the porn. But That, that was for Rory, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard, you know, registered, definitely. I mean, I agree. Porn is up there, you know. Far be it for me to derail this entire interview just to talk about porn, which I would have done, and you opened the door, so this is on your head. I'll stop now. Please continue, everybody. It's just an interesting reputation, you know, that one gets when one says the P word repeatedly (laughs) in blog posts, especially when you use WinFS in the same sentence. Uh, I'll I'll tell you, I'm not sure the WinFS team appreciated that post (laughs) as much as the rest of us did, though. I was young and stupid and needed the money, you know. I mean, So anyway, I I have no idea what were we talking about. Uh, groupware. What's that? Group 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 development. Oh, that's right. Large scale team based programs. Yes, and I know Chris has done a bunch of that. Yeah, one of the things that I learned is that in a C sharp project, the project actually has events, pre build and post build. Yes, events. And he was doing some really cool stuff, uh, sending off processes to. And I can't even remember what he was doing, but uh, but he was taking utilizing that. And of course, me being a VB programmer, I had no knowledge of that. And I said, "What is that?" Um, so, 
I thought it was very cool, and I I would like to have those events as well. Yeah, I love that idea. That's really cool. Great idea. You could walk up and subscribe to some assembly in process. Yeah. And you could say, gosh, let me know if this changes because I care. Right. Yeah, that'd be, I like that idea. That's really cool. And, of course, you know, Robert Greene's talking about his new job is uh, sort of working on the community aspect of of visualstudio.net development. And I thought to myself, well, what does that mean? You know, community inside the, the Visual Studio environment and not just, like, go to a website but sort of real – real involvement there. And so, you know, my mind is awash with messaging and notifications and, you know, keeping track of stuff. And I just don't have the time to put into developing these things. Although nothing would please me more than for every responsibility to just go away and I could move to a cabin in Vermont with a little wood stove and hammer out code. Of course, I'd have wood stove and electricity in a T1, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing I always talk to my wife about. I definitely want to move away to a Cabin in the woods where there's no phone and just, you know, fireplace, except for, of course, I need a T1. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's sort of the Ted Kaczynski movement of developers, I think. Code everything in Klingon, right? <laughs> he kept his diaries in Klingon. I don't know if everybody knows this. Right? <laughs> no, maybe you could tell our listeners who Ted Kaczynski was. The Unabomber. Oh, right. Yes. Right. Thank you. Not that I have a whole bunch of esoteric Unabomber knowledge. You know, <laughs> no, that wouldn't be something you'd be interested in. No, not you, Rory. No. <laughs> So, Carl... Um, Didn't you interview the Unabomber once, or was that Stephen Hawking? No comment. Let's move along here. Okay. I'm not supposed to talk about this. All right. that sink ships, you know? So, Carl, you were telling me... Um, we talked about the, the summit, but how do you happen to have all these interesting people in your inbox? What do you do for a living besides, you know, record the .NET show, which I'm sure has you awash in more money than you can spend? Ever since I really started in this business was with Crescent Software... Back, uh, they were the number two company to have a VBX on the market. And what was their VBX? The first was MicroHelp. They actually had a library called QuickPack Professional. And uh, without going down that path, which I will come back to, by the way, um, and had all sorts of VBXs in it. Uh, once I started down that road, I started writing for um, Basic Pro Magazine, which was the first incarnation, which is now a Visual Studio Magazine. It went from Basic Pro Magazine to Visual Basic Programmer's Journal, from that to Visual Studio Magazine. And uh, Ethan Weiner, the president of Crescent Software, was sort of like the only content in the early days of Basic Pro Magazine. He wrote a lot of the columns. He got a lot of the technical stuff together. He wrote the Q&A column. When Visual Basic came out, he uh, decided he didn't want to learn uh, Windows programming, and he had done his stuff and... Uh, he just wanted to, you know, get out of the business. So he basically uh, handed the Q&A column over to me, and I was, at that point, had done some V-bits and done some writing. So I sort of got in the business, and like in any business, you know, when you get into it, you have peers. You, you know, Dan Appleman, for example, was a good friend of mine back then. You go to V-bits, and you hang out in the speaker's lounge, and you get to know a lot of these people. And I just happen to have come into it right at the beginning, so a lot of people know me, and I know a lot of people. And um, so, I got so out when, of. What, so when did you start at Crescent? So I started at Crescent in 1992, I think, or so 91. Started, Might have been 91. Okay. And and had you been a developer before then, or where were, where did you do before that? Before that, I had 
uh, no, I, I, I was not a professional developer, but I had uh, Quick Basic, and I was absolutely fascinated with Quick Basic. Um, before that, I learned on TRS-80 Basic. Sure. I had a TRS-80 Model 4, you know, uh, commonly known as the Trash 80. The Trash 80. Model 4? Model 4, yes. I was a I was a, an advanced TRS-80 user. Most people say, had... That's one better than what I was usually around when I was a kid. You know, it's like the, the, the TRS-80 Model 3. And that was the most popular one, is the Model 3. Yeah. But Carl had the Model 4. Yeah, Mr. Fancy TRS-80. My father had it, so... Anyway, that's what I learned to program on in BASIC, and I also learned a lot about TRS-DOS and how to use the two together. So I spent many nights just with matted hair, you know, not bathing, in my room, uh, pouring through the manuals, trying to, you know, link devices together with batch language. And How old were you when you were doing this with the matted hair? 16, 17, I guess. Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. You know, and uh, actually, I had I became very famous among my hacker friends. Actually, I didn't know I had hacker friends, but apparently, <laughs> I did. Um, some of my friends, you know, who were, you know, into you know the teenage hacking thing, and uh, found a local phone number that you could call and get some sort of tone and put in a five-digit code and then an area code and number. And if that code was good, I mean, it was totally insecure and wide open. And so they would like sit around and and hack out codes for free long distance and stuff just sure. by freaking. They freaking. did, yeah, but it was manual. <laughs> it was manual freaking. Sure. I had always wanted to write a bulletin board system because I thought that was the bee's knees. Sure. And uh, and there was nothing out there that wasn't you know three hundred dollars for TBBS was a lot and I couldn't afford that. And there was nothing else for the TRS eighty. So. But you did have hours and hours of free time in the hours. evenings and weekends when you weren't out dating chicks. Hours of free time. Crimes. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I did was I wrote a program to pick random numbers and to you know call a CompuServe number somewhere and. Dude, you wrote a demon dialer. I wrote a demon dialer. Yeah. Oh and, man. And and before I know it, I had sixteen you know snot nose snot nose nerdy. Kids on my doorstep knocking on my door is Carl home, and my parents come <laughs> and coming into my room, and here are all these kids, and they want to see my code, you know, and uh, and I, you know, I wasn't a hacker. I was just a kid who liked communications and and that in modems, and I wanted to build a bulletin board. That's what I wanted to do. So that sort of goal to build a bulletin board drove me to Quick Basic, and then I got PDQ.com, which was a an assembly language library for serial communications. Crescent Software did. Dave. Oh, Cleary. I heard of PDQ.com totally. Yep, Dave Cleary wrote that. And then I got into PDQ, which was a. If you listen to the Ethan Weiner show, he talks all about that. It's a replacement library for Quick Basic. So when you come when you link with it, uh, it stubs out a whole bunch of stuff you don't need, and you create these really small, fast programs. So I was in heaven with Crescent Software. These guys clearly enjoyed what they did. They were totally into it. They knew they were cool, and they promoted themselves that way, and I, I just ate it up. So I called them up looking for a summer job, and I had just got uh, Visual Basic and was playing around with that, and bing, bam, boom, got hired, and that started my career. So you've been a basic guy for forever. Yeah, and at Crescent, um, they weren't C programmers. They were assembly programmers. So oh, I actually learned assembly before I learned C. So they they had a nice mix of basic and assembler. Well, C is just portable assembly anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I learned that. I learned, you know, and I've done some C in some C++. Which is why you don't do it anymore, probably. 
yeah, it just just never seemed natural to me. But of course, you know that's what everybody programmed in. So, so, no, I was a Quick Basic guy too. Ooh, back didn't in the day, I loved Quick Basic. So it was very cool. I was there. Well, it's it's funny, too. We're all coming out here, but (laughs) I spent three years as a uh, full-time AppleSoft basic programmer on my Apple II. That's just nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, that's how I started. I mean, I went to high school during the days, but I was a full-time programmer. Wow. Chris Sells, AppleSoft consultant. (laughs) You You got that book on the shelf? No. Not yet. That's awesome. Wow, this has been such a revealing night. Chris Sells. Okay, please, go. (laughs) (laughs) So we all started uh, doing basic. I was going to say, I really enjoyed enjoyed the magic of programming Quick Basic, but I also knew that, you know, I was missing out on a lot of the technical stuff that I really had a desire to to know. So I got a job, I had a job actually before, uh, I went to Crescent. I worked for Voyetra Technologies in Pelham, New York, and uh, they made a DOS MIDI sequencer. And I was in tech support. So what I would do is I would hang out at the bar after hours with the programmers, and I just have these burning questions, you know, like, what the hell is a stack? What the hell? When is a quick basic programmer ever used the word stack? You know what I mean? Sure. So I had no idea what these things were, so I learned computer science over beer. You know, sure, and uh, was fascinated, and I just had to know more and know more and know more. When I got to Crescent, I started writing an assembler and sort of deconstructed my knowledge from the bottom up. And so I have this side of me that really loves the nerdy sort of systems level component, you know, server type kind of programming, you know, uh, as fast and as tight and as efficient as possible, and all that stuff. But at the same time, I have uh, you know, a, a bent for programming applications and uh, in a higher level language, which I, you know, enjoy also. So, so are you still, so Rory and I have, I mean, we, we gave up our, our line numbers and we went over to, you know, the C style, you know, semicolons. Right. Um, and, and yet you're still, I mean, even with all that assembly language, you're still in visual basic. And, yeah. And I, you know, I don't, I don't sense any bitterness. I, you know, I sense very much that you love it. I love it. And there's nothing wrong with that, Carl. Yeah, that's true. And for the record, Chris, I don't, I don't have anything, anything at all against C Sharp, its cousins, its parents, and the horse it rode in on. <laughs> I love C Sharp, and I love the programmers that program in C Sharp. Oh, yeah, and it's I think kind of a that warm fuzzy feeling all around, and that's convenient because we rock you. <laughs> all right, with our C sharp. <laughs> uh, in your way. dreams, pal. Which it's not. We're all just happy. Well, anyway, I don't know. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's way more Visual Basic programmers than C there sharp is. or C or C programmers of any kind. There is. So, if VB programmers ever decided that they had had enough of us for any reason, it'd be like Alfred Hitchcock's Birds, right? With <laughs> C programmers crammed into phone booths and Visual Basic programmers just coming at us with their beaks, right? The you know the thing is is about Visual Basic is it's more about the programmer than it is about the language and what I mean by that is since you know if you think about the the big expansion of technology and programmers that happened in the nineties and uh, the early, late eighties early nineties you know a lot of that was fueled by Visual Basic and became the most popular language and stuff and really because it was it was like the second gold rush or maybe it was the third gold rush it was a 
It was a race to get your programs done so that you could make shitloads of money. And they didn't really care how, you know, how things were done. They just wanted them done. My understanding is that a few years ago, Visual Basic passed COBOL in terms of number of lines written. So it's the, like the number one most lines of code ever. Right. And COBOL was probably representative of the first gold rush or the right. second gold rush after the actual gold rush. But you know what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> the actual so, gold rush, that's zero. Yeah. So the Visual yeah, Basic... Gold rush to the revenge. Right. Yeah, so. so obviously programming is a thing that requires some serious study in order to do very well. It requires a sense of dedication. It requires a little bit of masochism. You know, it requires trying to force square pegs into round holes where they don't fit in your psyche until you really and truly understand and the light goes on and then, you know, you, you feel one with the machine. But that doesn't happen very easily. And I, and I bet you that it probably will happen if you're just starting out in programming. It'll probably happen faster with C Sharp. But, you know, so, so what, I, what I try to do is I try to talk to the people that are already Visual Basic programmers that already have a framework of programming, and then I try to help them understand, you know, at a, at a richer level what they can do with the language. Because the language itself, is, there's nothing limiting about Visual Basic.net. Well, certainly Visual Basic.net, uh, you know, I'm hard-pressed to come up with anything at all interesting that you can't do in Visual Basic.net. It's not like Visual Basic in the old days where you right. really did have some real limitations at the language level. Yes, you did. I mean, from you know, I, I am from the semicolon-enabled family of languages, but I could as easily program Visual Basic.net in terms of just raw capability. There's right. nothing there I can't do that I want to do. Right, and there's other things, too, uh, that that I like about it over C Sharp in, the, in terms of the programming experience which is, you know, the background compiling. As soon as I move off of a line of code, it's compiled and checked for me, and I get squiggles and help messages that mean something, you know, like uh, can cannot override property such and such foo because in the base class it is, it is not declared overridable. You know, that's a message that I can deal with, not object error, you know, <laughs> error 4927. Look it up and blow me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's the kind of error handling that Visual Basic programmers are used to. So when they're in my class, the, one of the very first things I tell them is, look, you're going to get bugs. You're going to get errors. Don't just hit the OK button and stare at the ceiling. You know, look at the error message that you get because, believe it or not, it's going to tell you exactly what's wrong. And, uh, you know, that takes a little bit of rewiring for most people to, to get out of that habit. So you still, I mean, even with that, uh, that heavy duty communications and, and, uh, you know, the assembly language training, you still really do prefer visual basic. Absolutely. This is Chris Sells, a.k.a. Carl Franklin, here to tell you about Active Reports for .NET. So, 
if you've got a report writer and you're not satisfied with it or you're still looking for reporting solutions, you got to check out actorreports.net. And I'm not just reading copy here to you folks. I'm talking from experience. I, I also happen to know that many of the regional directors and MVPs swear by activereports.net. People who come into my class, my vb.net master class, when I ask, who, you know, what are you using for reporting? More hands go up for activereports.net than uh, any other reporting engine. So don't take my word for it. Uh, see for yourself. Go to www.datadynamics.com and uh, look for activereports.net. It really does rock. And you can download an evaluation version and get a report up and running really, really quickly. They've got a great walkthrough. And, you know, you don't have to uh, configure up lots of crazy report servers. It's not a, it's not a replacement for Crystal Enterprise. It's not that kind of thing. Uh, it's much, much more simple, much more clean. You get PDF, you get HTML, you get it all. So check it out. Uh, go to datadynamics.com now. All right, let's get back to this uh, interview with Carl Franklin. Uh, he's doing pretty good for a first-time uh, guest, don't you think? All right. Keep rocking. Stick around. Okay, well, I do lots of training, obviously, and um, I have a family. I have a very small daughter. I have two daughters. One's eight and one's almost two, so, you know, they take up a lot of time, and and it's time well spent, as you know. Um, so so you, do, you do the training thing. Tell me a little bit so about... So I do the training thing. In my spare time, I do research programming, and this is the kind of programming I like. I, I learn about something that I can do. I research it. I go to the help file. I write some code, I figure out a test harness, and and I understand it. And I figure out, oh, how's that gonna how can that help me either how can I apply that to something I'm teaching or can I apply that to something I've written in the past or whatever. So I sort of think of it as research programming. Um there are a couple of projects ongoing that I have um that I have going all the time. One of them is a sort of a sockets framework with a very a flexible and simple protocol for transferring binary data. And that includes, that touches a lot of areas. That touches um, sockets, number one, but it also touches multi-threaded issues and and synchronization. And it also touches, you know, on um, protocols and, and uh, dealing with all that stuff. So, so I kind of like that. So you so you're back to the low level communication stuff. Yeah, I love I like that. And you're stuff. building a bulletin board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had actually thought of building a web based bulletin board. You know, with a scrolling black screen with you know green ANSI colors and stuff. ANSI <laughs> art. ANSI right? stuff. You know, um, but you know, I mentioned that to somebody. Wouldn't that be cool? And they looked at me like I was from another. F- planet <laughs> that would not be cool no not that cool would either. really suck <laughs> we've so, come so far <laughs> so so i still have to wonder i mean in this day and age of uh you know text-based internet protocols and xml and you know soap and the whole bit 
why uh, why you would build you know a low level socket based binary. Framework. I'm an incurable control freak. No, no, that's not the reason. I actually am to some point, but but the real reason is um, the there are lots of situations out there where web services, remoting, XML, some of the higher level things, HTTP, aren't an option. And most of the, you know, it's about 1% of the people doing communications fall into this category. But for example, I just came back from Burlington, Vermont, where I was consulting for a company up there that does light controls. And they make control boxes, the circuit boards and everything with embedded Zilog chips and software put in there that uh, talks. Um, they they actually wrote their own network protocol at first because they they're writing the hardware, and they wanted to move to TCP/IP um, for obvious reasons. And um, they 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 look, looked first at remoting, but they have devices on their network that have to be using Windows CE and the uh, Compact framework. The Compact framework doesn't support remoting. They would have used web services had they not had devices where they were, you know, writing things with limited memory and limited resources and limited CPU power and all that kind of stuff. So web services weren't an option for them. Um, so sockets was the only way to go. So you had you had the compact framework on one end yep. as the controller and then this little Zilog chip on the other. Yeah. Well, they have basically a whole bunch of different things. They have this device that access both a client and a server, and then they have a compact framework, uh, you know, device that uh, access both a client and a server, and then they have a PC, like a Windows application, Windows Forms application that has to do all that stuff. So any anybody can connect to anybody else, um, pretty much, and it's all controlled by a protocol that they write. But the cool thing was that, you know, the the code that I wrote for them wrote it as a DLL and moving it over, we, we, you know, we said, okay, now what do we do? I said, well, you have a Windows CE device handy. Yeah. So let's try it. So I pulled up uh, Visual Studio in, in a, new, a new project, a compact framework, smart device application, DLL, just loaded my VB file in and compiled it. And without a hitch, it just compiled. And I thought that was so cool yeah. that, you know, Everything that we had done was supported by the compact framework so that it just compiled and we we copied it over to the machine and ran it and it ran. And then we tried to connect and it connected and, and, and the protocol worked and everything worked. It was just the, probably the, just the magic, smoothest magic. magical experience I've had with going from one platform to another. So even though the web services stuff wasn't baked in, the certainly the socket stuff was. Well, the remoting stuff wasn't baked in. That was their first choice. Sure. Yeah. And the web services weren't an option because of the little devices that uh, some guy had to write, you know, the stuff in C in about 4K of memory yeah. or something. I, I mean, don't know. you could easily, you know, get in C an XML parser and, you know, all that. The problem is getting it at that size. But if you think about the problems that web services solves, right, a lot of it is the firewall issue, okay, and the data is bloated. It's bloated out to to take advantage of, uh, you know, the, the features that have to work across all these different platforms. But when you've got a closed network and you have control over, port, you know, ports aren't an issue, firewalls are not an issue, 
and you've got a closed network, you don't have security issues, you can just hard code an IP address in a device. Sockets is the simplest solution. Yeah, oh, totally. The, if you've got the tools. Yeah, the only the only problem then is, you know, everyone agreeing, all these different devices agreeing on the binary format itself. Right, right? and you that's why it's... You can't take your .NET code and load it on the Zilog box. Right, and that's why it's drop-dead simple in, you know, the protocol is, and it's simply... The only thing that's different about sockets with, with sending, you know, data to files and other stuff is that it's just raw data. If I take 100 bytes or 1,000 bytes and I send it down the stack... At the other side, it's going to get a callback when, you know, some amount of data has been received. It could be a thousand bytes, but it could be a hundred bytes. It could be two hundred bytes. And so you you don't really know when the end of that data is. Let's just raw data. So that's why you have these different protocols on top. Like even HTTP has a header that says, here's the content length. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It has two carriage returns that line feeds that say this is the end of the header, and then the content length says this is how much data I'm about to send you. And so content length is really the the minimum requirement for any sockets protocol. So all we did is we just uh I won't say appended, but we prepended, if that's a word. We put Yeah, prepended, that's the right word. Is that the right word? It is the right word. We prepended the data with four bytes, which I use the bit converter class to to serialize, for lack of a better word, that that an integer containing the length of the data we were going to send. And we chopped it up into blocks. Um, the size of those blocks can uh, be set statically. Or, you know, in, in a future release, maybe it will dynamically expand based on, you know, the buffer overruns or anything like that. But uh, on the other side, then, we have uh, a state class that we use with the asynchronous method, and we pass it around from thread to thread. And uh, that contains, you know, how much data was received and how much we have to go and have we received it all yet. And just a very simple length-based, uh, you know, a length measuring protocol. Well, you're, you're describing most of the, you know, early, uh, you know, binary-based Internet protocols. Right. And so, you know, again, I want to say that it's a matter of appropriateness. You would not use this to send an order to a web server from another web server. That would just be stupid. Right. You know, well, so it's interesting. I mean, RPC is essentially that, right? I mean, with a bunch of different data types in, but yeah. you know, length prefixed. So you you implemented RPC. Well done. Thank you. It works <laughs> great too, in a multi-threaded way, and uh, works on. Uh, I bet it didn't take framework. very long to get working on the .NET side either, did it? Yeah, no, it was much easier to program on in .NET than in anything else that I've ever tried it in. I mean, first of all, the, the last I've written two books on sockets programming, one for VB4 and one for VB6. And the and both of those, you know, worked within the single threaded environment of Visual Basic. Even the server had to had only one thread at a time, one listener and then one thread, and it processed the thing and it went back and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, the the when I heard that Visual Basic.net had multi-threading, of course that's the first thing I thought of. I've always been Ever since I saw VB.net and I saw that I could do it, you know, this sockets framework, I've wanted to perfect. So I've been working on that ever since. So that's interesting. Uh, th- I know there was some controversy in the early .NET community about whether, you know, putting all of those features into Visual Basic .NET would it, would be a good thing or a scary thing. <laughs> and what do you think? What? How did oh, I'm so out? glad. Yeah, I'm so glad. I mean, look. If just because you're Mort doesn't mean that it shouldn't be in there. 
You know what I mean? You don't have to use every feature of Visual Basic to be a Visual Basic.net programmer. Well, maybe you could tell the listeners who Mort is. Yeah, I, and this is something I learned recently. Uh, and I learned it at the .NET Peer Summit, as a matter of fact, in December. Um, you know, we're sitting around and somebody mentioned Mort. And I said, what's that? Who's Mort? Like they were talking about a real guy. You know, but Mort wouldn't like that. <laughs> you yeah. could do it that way, but is Mort going to understand this? <laughs> and I said, who's Mort? So Mort is the sort of... What would you, what would you call him? The quintessential uh, average uh, average VB programmer. No, no, not just VB programmer. I mean, but you know, the the guy that has to that has to write code. It's not okay. the guy who like wants to write code or loves to write code. But the this is to, the guy, the, the nine, nine to five fighter. programmer. Yeah, the guy the who you know wants to do his job and get it done and do a good job, but then go home. He wants to go home, <laughs> right? <laughs> Unlike the rest of us who can't, who won't leave, right? <laughs> That's good. I, th- I thought you guys were saying Mork the whole time too. You know, like, Mork, like Nenu Nenu from the know? planet Ork. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned something today. That's good. Oh man! All right. So you you have built your own RPC infrastructure. That's cool. And um, you said you had a couple of ongoing projects. Is this one of your ongoing projects? Well, this is sort of a core f- piece of other ongoing projects. Um, Although they, the ongoing projects I'm doing in other pieces have, uh, are not using the RPC piece, all of them, but some of them are. One of them that I've been doing for a while is a mastermind game that you can play over the internet. Because uh, my daughter Emmy, she's eight, as I said, I taught her to play mastermind last year, last fall. And she's become quite good at it. And she's learned the, um, you know, the little tricks and the little, process of elimination steps and strategies that you can go through to 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 figure out the code in, you know, five or six moves. So we we love to play all the time. And uh when I'm traveling and stuff, you know, when I call home before they go to bed, you know, we just say, Hi, how you doing? and miss you and all that and good night. And I thought it'd be cool if, you know, she could go to the computer and fire up Mastermind and we could play a game. You know, I could play from my hotel room uh, before she goes to bed. So I first thing I did was I looked on the internet, didn't find anything. And, there's got to um, be one, isn't there one? There's probably one, but I don't know if it works over the internet. I, I saw one like done in Java that you could play against the machine or something like that. But you I, could just I tell her it's you. Couldn't? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, it's terrible. <laughs> it's just that you're really, really good. And she'd be mad at me, honey. Why are you mad at me? Because you didn't answer me last night. <laughs> um. <laughs> so that's that's going that's going well. You're also I, doing some MIDI stuff, aren't you? MIDI, yeah, MIDI's another thing because you know I cut my teeth at uh, Voyager Technologies, which was a MIDI sequencing company. MIDI sequencers for in DOS for musicians, hmm. not a good combination. <laughs> <laughs> well, DOS and guitar player do not go together in the same. Well, sense. frankly, DOS and any normal human, although not guitar players aren't. Well, especially human, especially back then when IRQ conflicts were not just something that happened once in a while. Everybody right. dealt with them. I mean, we had, you know, a, a typical tech support call was, you know, it's locking up. Oh, do you have a Video 7 video card? Oh, yes. Well, what you have to do is put a shunt over the jumper J5, oh, which no. will redirect <laughs> the, the horizontal retrace 
Uh, It'll disable the horizontal retrace, which is causing a problem with... <laughs> Thank God for Microsoft. That's all I got to say. With hardware abstraction layers and shit like that, you know, I don't want to deal with that. And nobody does. We wouldn't have an IT economy if it weren't for Windows. Well, but, you know, I mean, you say that, but of course Microsoft invented DOS, too. All right, but... but <laughs> no, right. they didn't invent DOS. They bought it. Well, okay. I'm sorry. They they, they invented it to the Windows. masses. How about that? They invented Windows. Agreed. And they they did the work to to abstract hardware away from us. And that, my friends, is worth its weight in gold. Oh no, I'm a huge fan. Believe me. In yeah. fact, I'm I even love .NET more because it even abstracts more of the machine <laughs> away from you. So that's, now I can just say you know Mort equals whatever. Um, so we were talking about Mort. No, we were talking about MIDI. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, uh, uh, I had some MIDI code that I had done in VB6 and it wasn't that interesting, but, um, I moved it over to .NET and, um, it became very interesting. Now, granted, I'm using the P invoke technology to do API calls, but, uh, one but of the, that's cool where you get to, to MIDI in .NET. Yeah. yeah. That's how you get to MIDI in .NET. So I wrote this little high-level tool that I can say, you know, play and pass a note number and a duration. I can turn the volume up and down, and I can select patches, and I put in a general MIDI instrument list and all this stuff. And But the coolest part is hooking the, the MIDI receive and being able to change the bits. And believe it or not, I do, you know, bit masking and uh, oaring and anding and, and all that shifting and all that stuff. And, um, you know, having to change bits to reroute the, 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 byte, the MIDI bytes to another device. So basically I have this router where I can say, here's my input device, here's my output device, my output channel, my volume or whatever. And then I process this callback that just simply routes the data from one input to another. And I actually did it for a reason. See, I have a band and my brother plays keys. Uh, brother's a Java programmer, by the way. Oh, no. Do you guys, like, fight over <laughs> at Thanksgiving or something? Oh, hell no. Hell no. We're always comparing notes. I mean, oh, we're yeah? like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Java's got something that does that. It's X. And I say, oh, really cool. Yeah, we got this, this, and that. And Yeah, they have um, a soap serializing library that they bought. It's like a third-party guy. I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, so I have uh, a touchscreen next to his keyboard computer, on his keyboard computer. And I wrote a program where he could just, you know, make patches. You know, I want my top controller to play the organ, press the patch, and it plays the organ. But not just the organ. I have software synths like the, like the B4, which is a B3 organ that's a, a virtual synthesizer. So the, the math behind the electronics in the Hammond B3 have been simulated in code, Right. And so when you play through this software synthesizer, it sounds like a Hammond B3 organ. You, you, you put that next to a Jimmy Smith record, you won't, you won't be able to tell the difference. It's unbelievable. So you don't need Jimmy Smith anymore. You replace Jimmy Smith. <laughs> you replace with, Jimmy with, Smith. With Visual but, Basic. Yeah, but the problem is that you can't like switch a controller from one of these uh, software synths to another very easily. Not only that, but we wanted patches like I wanted to you know, transpose this piano up and, you know, remove the aftertouch and, and I want to split this, the keyboard at this point and make it play a bass on the left hand and, 
and the, this particular electric piano. So you can set up these patches, much like you can do in um, uh, in the environment area of a program called Logic by eMagic, which I fell in love with, but now they are Mac only. And so, uh, so that's what he has. He's got this setup where he can just like take it out on a gig and I want horn samples from, you know, Giga Sampler. Boink, hit the button. Now he's got horns. Oh, I want this, this setup or that setup. So that, that, that's what we're doing with MIDI. And, and it's funny too. I mean, with all of the, I mean, it seems like every computer scientist in the world is also a musician of some kind. I mean, I played in the marching band. Uh, you're clearly, a what in the band? What do you play in the band? I play guitar. Guitar. Rory, you must have some musical talent of some kind. I scream. <laughs> no, you play. Come on. Okay, I play music. There we go. See, there is all of us. Don, Don Box, and and Mike Amacrombi, who started Developmentor, they met in uh, a marching band, <laughs> and they both played instruments. And yeah, I mean that's just everyone. Mike Amundsen plays. Yeah, there's just. A long list. I don't know what long doing, list. So, so everybody asks me, you know, what's the deal with musicians and programmers? And I've heard a lot of explanations. The most obvious connection is music is very mathematical, but I don't think that's it because I don't like programming for the math. Well, yeah. In fact, I hardly do ever do math. I write the programs right. to do the math, and I don't do it. Right. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I mean, programming is extremely abstract. I mean, you're never really dealing with anything real, especially not anymore. You know, you got the virtual machine that's running into the virtual machine that's running into the virtual machine. You know, I mean, everything is super, super, super abstract. And music is like the most abstract art form in existence. I think there's probably just some right-brained, uh, you know, sort of thing going on there. This unless is, you, that's just my guess. Unless you're singing "Row, row, row your boat," <laughs> but the, the, it's the best. The best description I've ever heard, or the best explanation, is that in order to play an instrument, you have to work very hard on a lot of fundamental technical things that are difficult. You know, it's like the square pegs and round hold things. And you have to get that technique down um, so that you understand the mechanics and the theory behind the music. So when you're practicing, you're doing it very slowly and you're deconstructing the music. It's not really music when you're practicing scales, you know. You're, you're working on the, the technical aspect of it. So you have to get, you have to nail the technique and that, requires an abstraction, as Rory said, and a slowing down of the process and a thinking through. But you also have to zoom out and see the big picture, which is the performance. Is this going to sound good? You know what I mean? And when you're writing an application, you're doing the same thing. You zoom in on these little minute details that sometimes you have to work out in, in long extended ways. And then you zoom out again mentally and you see how it fits into the big picture. And so programmers, the best programmers, have laser zoom-in-and-out capabilities. Like, you can zoom, Chris, you can zoom in on a problem, focus on that problem, nail it, zoom back out, and then you see the big and picture again. And see how it fits in, fits in the big picture. Right, and, yeah. and that's what makes a good programmer a good programmer. It's also what makes a good guitar player a good guitar player. Yeah, because except for, I, okay, so you let me blow a hole in your theory. My sure. trumpet playing sucks. <laughs> Well, that's because you do your zooming with the keyboard and I the mouse, not with the... Is. No practicing. Not with the trumpet, right. Yeah, okay. So, so you did not blow a hole in my theories, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, so switching gears, you and I have a common ancestry besides our, you know, love of, our initial love of basic. Um, you and I both spent a lot of years in the training industry. How long have you been doing the training thing? The first class I ever taught 
was at Crescent Software. It was a class in Visual Basic, which was probably 2.0 then, and uh, followed by another class in QuickPack Professional, which was our toolkit. Our toolkit, you asked me what it was before, the first one out. It started as an assembly library for QuickBasic and turned into, uh, you know, assembly routines, stuff like sorting arrays and uh, that kind of thing. You know, lots of different low-level assembler kind of gearhead things. Writing to a sector. Reading a sector. Wow. Yeah. Um, determining if the printer was available. You know, that kind of stuff. Little, nice little things. There was one cool thing I remember. String to bind and bind to string. It took a, a, a byte or a long or a whatever, and it converted it to a string of zeros and ones that represented... <laughs> the bytes. Wow. Little things like that. So anyway, hundreds of routines in Assembler. And then when um, Visual Basic came out, they wrote OCX, or VBXs in Assembler. Jay Monroe, I'll never forget this. Jay Monroe, who went on to PC Magazine, he was writing, He wrote and he wrote an article in PC Mag about it. You can probably still find it in the archives. He wrote a custom control that was pretty sig- I can't remember if it was a slider control or something like that in assembly language. And um, so they were like writing com code in C. Yeah, yeah. Talk about your masochism, right? Right. (laughs) So, and I never did that. I I said, well, you you go for it. I'm going to stick with my VB. (laughs) Um, But they also contracted out to a bunch of other programmers to do masked edit controls. And we hooked up with Steve Cramp and got a 256 color control, you know, when the picture control only did 16 colors. Um, you know, we, we started buying up, uh, and hiring contractors to do all these controls. So, so we had a library, we were the second on the market. Microhelp was the first. They were just by a couple of weeks too. It wasn't, was they weren't very, maybe a couple of months, but it wasn't very long time in between the two. Microhelp of course went on to do uninstaller that program oh, sure. and then they, imploded i guess well, they, they had a, they would like track when you installed a, an app so that yeah you could get it back off again yeah they did the they had the first uninstaller technology wow yep they made a fortune with that and then they gave the the ceo gave it all to some funky religion or something and they went bankrupt <laughs> you know i think that's the real path to money we should form a funky religion there you go yes we just have to find someone to worship I think we should worship a common ancestor to to VB and C sharp. You know, we should find some kind of. We should have like you mean um, ones and zeros in a row. We should. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some way that VB programmers and C sharp programmers can lay down their guns and hold hands and sing kumbaya. What do you think? <laughs> Around the campfire, <laughs> roasting marshmallows. <laughs> yeah, I like it totally. I don't know if there's any money in that, but I'm into it. <laughs> I'd say something right now, but you guys are kind of creeping me out with the weird uh, code religion talk here. <laughs> I actually used um, religion in my ASP.NET masterclass this week. Oh, I was really? talking, yeah, I was Were talking you, like, about solving debates. It was easier to solve <laughs> Judaism versus Christianity than it was, you know, Emacs versus VI. No, well, I will tell you actually. It was, uh, I was talking about how the web is a stateless being. And, you know, a lot of these programmers who were Windows programmers who hadn't done web programming before. And so, you know, the idea that your class level variables just go away. Oh, my God. So, you know, I told him that it was at every request, it came into being and then went out of being. It became and it did, and, the, you know, 
it was becoming and then it went away, you know? <laughs> kind of like Vishnu sitting on the lotus flower. You that know? is very zen, yes. <laughs> Opening his eyes and a universe comes into being and he closes his eyes and a whole universe goes out of existence, you know? <laughs> Did you say that? Yeah. Wow. And, and yeah, well, you yeah, know was what? It like blank stares or I mean? No, yeah, it was worse than that. You know, they were yawning and looking around for coffee. No, because I'd enjoy that, but I can imagine that, you know, getting up there and being in a BB class and hearing this thing about Vishnu, they might be a little confused <laughs> at first, but I think that'd add some color to the whole thing. But Well, it does if you know what the hell that is. Yeah, you know? I don't, but I like it anyway. So yeah. that, that brings up an interesting topic. So uh, you you started the, the training thing how many years ago? Oh, oh, yeah. So the first class I did was for Crescent long, long ago. After I moved to California and back, I... Um, no, 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 no. I'm asking the first, how many years ago was it? Yeah, it probably 92, 93. So just to translate that, the answer to my question is about 10 or 11, Chris. Yes, and that was the question you asked me like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm so how sorry. How many years ago? Okay, so now yeah. we know. You've been doing this training thing for about 10 or 11 years. Yeah, but not seriously. I, I really started seriously with Franklin's Net in 1999. Okay. So about, yeah. gosh, about four years. Yeah. Okay. So in that time, uh, you know, as I, I did the instructor thing for about eight years. And, right, with you know, DM. The thing, and I did it a, a long time. And I know that sometime you just get into, you know, this special place where you're connecting to some part of your brain that isn't even attached to your body. Kind of like you, Rory. Right, all the time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you just start telling these stories. And yes. I was just curious, what you know, what's the strangest story you've ever found yourself telling? I, I, I refrain from strange stories. Because I, you know, I, I, I find they're wonderful, both in terms of waking the audience up and keeping them on their toes. Yeah. They don't have any idea when I'm going to freak out and pull out an automatic weapon. I'm very and also because uh, I find it these wacky stories are often very good analogies that can help them connect to the technology. Sometimes, I suppose. Uh, that's I tr In general, I try to refrain from stories because I, if I was sitting in a class and I wanted to know you know, how to make a type data set work across a web service. I don't want to be sitting there listening to some story. And then I invented the internet and, you know, <laughs> blah, 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 no, blah. No, no, I'm not talking about, you know, making shit up. I'm talking about, <laughs> like, you know, analogies. Like, for example, yeah. Don. Oh, okay. Uh, Don on his, on his blog the other day was talking about, uh, you know, the Roach Motel and how Winifest was killing the Roach Motel. And it was immediately <laughs> obvious that he was talking about today that applications, the data comes in, but it doesn't come out. <laughs> and, you know, that was the Roach Motel. And Winifest was all about letting those roaches roam free. That's cool. Actually, I have certain things that I say the same every single time. And when I look back on the volume that I've remembered and recited, you know, I could write it down and and it would go on and on and on. It's well, well, so pretty amazing. That, right? It's kind of like written, an, I mean, if you can write a whole book on socket programming for Visual Basic four, yeah, you could make a book out of anything. Probably right. I mean, how much is there? I mean, could you even do socket programming in Visual Basic four? Maybe that was why it was such a long book. <laughs> yeah, the the thing about those books were that it concentrated. Uh, you know, there's one book about the fundamentals, and then it concentrated on how to write protocols. So. Ah. So we were writing FTP, SMTP, NNTP. And, and you did like all of the protocols from scratch. Client side. Client side. How to how to right. get how to download your email. How right. to send an email. How to send a file by FTP. 
Now yeah. we just call smtvmail.send. Yeah, and we just go to Google and find a free FTP control that's been written in C Sharp by some guy with no life and plug yeah. it in. I argue that's better. It's better. It's much better. Yeah, it's very it's much cool. better. In fact, it, it's rare that I can even, except for in the Longhorn side, right? Because, you know, that's so brand new. But in .NET even, in the last year plus, it's rare that you can really come up with a question that hasn't been answered. It's true. Somewhere. Yeah. Which um, I like. <laughs> well, so so Carl, we're, we're almost at the end of our time. What what else would you like to say to the audience? We've covered a large range of topics. Well, um, you know, I... I didn't know what to expect from this show, and I really, really enjoyed it. It's enjoyable being a guest on .NET Rocks. Oh, totally. I love being a guest. Rory, you've been a guest. I've been a guest. And? It's very satisfying. Yes, I like it very much. I, I was a little nervous the first time, you know, and I drank a lot afterwards. I should have drank before. I didn't. <laughs> um, that's my only recommendation. This time, second time? Feel much better. I but, think it's great. Yeah, but the beauty is, I mean, the the wonderful thing about being interviewed in any way. I've been interviewed for magazines in little spots and the .NET Rock Show. Oh, Mister Important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's always fun to have someone just pay to actually pay attention to you because at my it's, house, no one really cares, right? Yeah, that's so true. Because you it know, is my job cool. consists of sitting very still for eight hours and looking at a tiny little screen without moving <laughs> or sound. Very true. So, you know, the fact that somebody would actually care about that <laughs> is really nice. So, yeah, it's totally wonderful. Well, to it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed being a guest on my show. <laughs> well, you, you've done an excellent job as a guest. And might I say, you have done an excellent job as a host. Hasn't he done an excellent job, ladies and gentlemen? Just give Chris a r- little round of applause. <laughs> and, and Rory, too. Rory, you're, you're, you're natural. You're a natural. Oh, thank you. And, He's full uh, of color, isn't he? He's perfect. Yes. Yep. Well, maybe that will be your number second show on the new Carl Franklin Most Spectacular Not Net Radio Network. <laughs> yeah, and send me those suggestions for names and, and any other suggestions you want. I'm all ears. Oh, it's totally got to be Nerd World. If that Earl's available, <laughs> I'm going to own it and squat on it until you give me a lot of money. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, thank you very much, Carl. Next week, stay tuned for what? Rory, what are we doing next week? I don't. I mean, uh, I'm I th- gonna go home. I think and it's a success burrito. I don't know. I think it's a success story. Hang on, I'll tell you in a minute. As opposed, how about those failure stories? We want to hear <laughs> about those stories. dang failure stories. Actually, that's the other show. The other show will do <laughs> cool. failure stories. We tried this technology and it sucks. <laughs> We're never doing it again. Okay, next. Ooh, next show is going to be the .NET success stories number two. Um, the guests are going to be Jesse Ezel and Chris Kinsman. Oh, cool. Sweet. And there you gonna, go. They're going to talk about their successes with .NET in the real world, you know, projects they've actually been paid for that have succeeded. Well, so the cool thing about Chris Kinsman, is, uh, in addition to uh, him being very smart, he's done a ton of work on the no-touch deployment stuff in, with WinForms. Yeah. And yeah. just melding that together with websites and kind of transitioning back and forth between we need this client to work everywhere or, you know, this is a smart client for windows and man, that guy just knows a ton. Yep. He certainly he's does. Really cool. So anyway, thanks very much for letting us uh, pepper you with questions, Carl. You're welcome. And uh, we'll uh, be listening next week. Rory, any final words? I Well said. Yes. I'm you can really, tell he's really good at radio. Thank I you very much. I enjoyed this much. <laughs> 
<laughs> Have another drink, pal. <laughs> All right. Good night. Bye, guys.